Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. On today's podcast, we're going to preview Saturday's Kentucky versus Vanderbilt football game. It's a 12 o'clock start. At Kroger Field, the SEC Network has the television coverage. Kentucky, this is the first of the, the first of three home games for Kentucky to close out the regular season. The Cats play Vandy on Saturday. Then number one, Georgia comes to town on November 19th. And then the arch rival, Louisville Cardinals, in the, the Governor's Cup game on November 26th. That'll close out the regular season. Kentucky comes into the game at six and three overall, three and three in the SEC, coming off that 21-17 win over Missouri last Saturday. Saturday. Vanderbilt is three and six. The Commodores are zero and five in the SEC. Vandy's coming off a thirty-eight twenty-seven home loss to South Carolina. Vandy has a long SEC losing streak that they will try to snap. Uh, I think it's twenty-five games. The Commodores SEC games. The Commodores have lost in a row. Now they love nothing better than to break that streak on Saturday at Kroger Field. To talk about the Commodores, I talk with Chad Bishop, who covers Vanderbilt for Vanderbilt University Athletics. He's a friend of the pod, been on the pod many times before, does a great job covering the Commodores. And then I talked to John Hale, who does a great job covering UK football for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com about the Wildcats coming into this game on Saturday. Before we get to the interviews, a couple of quick reminders. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. You can check out all of the uh, options for subscriptions, digital subscriptions, and print subscriptions to the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com by going to Kentucky.com and hitting on that subscription tab. We appreciate everybody who supports our work at the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. We appreciate everybody who supports the podcast. Leave us a rating review wherever you find the podcast. That just helps more people find it. So, Without further ado, let's get right to it to our interviews. First, you'll hear from Chad Bishop of Vanderbilt Athletics and then John Hale of the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is our good friend, friend of the pod, Chad Bishop, who covers uh, Vanderbilt for Vanderbilt University Athletics. How's it going, Chad? John, it's going great. Great to be with you as always, and thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on it. We were talking before we started recording. This is the busy time of year. It's the crossover time of the year where you got both basketball and football going on. Of course, Kentucky and Vanderbilt football on Saturday. Uh, let me ask you a quick basketball question first since we were talking about crossover. Vandy opened the other night against Memphis. Pretty tough first opponent to play uh, to take on in the first game. I know they lost, but how, how'd they look? You know, the first half was rough for the Commodores, to be completely honest. Uh, they, they did not come out uh, playing very well. Missed uh, 15 of their first 17 from the floor and 
uh, what one of 11 to start the game from three. So I, I think, you know, they would tell you they were extremely disappointed in the way they, they started off the first 10 to 20 minutes of, of the season. Um, that being said, you know, they, they made a valiant effort up in the second half, kind of righted the ship. And um, I, I think they liked that test. I mean, Memphis was, was very talented. They kind of have a new roster, but a very, very talented team. And, you know, who knows when it's all said and done, that Memphis team will probably be at the, the top of their conference, could be conference champions. And uh, I think Vanderbilt, you know, they're, they got some veterans, but they also have some youth and some transfers who came in still trying to figure things out. So they, they were certainly disappointed in the result, but I think they know it's November 7th when they lost that game. And, you right. know, there's three to four months to go. So they're going to um, take sort of that mindset moving forward and say, hey, let's let's see where we can get better. So next time we play a team like Memphis, when that SEC schedule rolls around, we'll be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basketball's underway, but we're here, but we still have plenty of football left as we hit November here. Uh, Kentucky and Vanderbilt noon on Saturday, SEC Network at Kroger Field. Uh, Vandy comes in the game, I know, on a, on a little bit of a losing streak. Uh, been started off pretty well, but it had some tough uh, games in the SEC. But the last couple of games, they took Missouri down to the wire, lost 17 14, lost South Carolina 38 27 last Saturday. How's Vanderbilt playing right now? You know, I, I don't think they're playing as well as they would like. Uh, you mentioned the schedule, getting off to a 3-1 start. They, they were pretty you know, happy about that, pretty impressed with that, and they knew they had a gauntlet coming up after that, having to play Alabama, Ole Miss, and Georgia you know, three weeks in a row. And by our research, uh, the Commodores had never played three top ten teams back-to-back-to-back like that in the history of their football program. So, uh, you know, we we called it the gauntlet. It was uh, the gauntlet of all gauntlets, and they knew that that would kind of be the the measuring stick of where they were. Um, You know, now that being said, when when they got out of that gauntlet, you know, they thought, you know, Missouri was definitely a winnable game, and it was, uh, but got down 17-0 in that game, and starting quarterback A.J. Swan went out with an injury and, and Mike Wright tried to, to rally the troops and they just couldn't get that game-tying field goal or, or game-winning touchdown there late. And then coming home to play South Carolina, again, another game they thought they matched up well with and thought they had a chance to, to maybe sneak up on the Gamecocks with some of the issues that South Carolina was going through. But um, four turnovers really did them in. And so they're still trying to struggle to find you know those four quarters of football. Sounds a little cliche, but... You know, they'll have uh, a great second half against Missouri where they pitch a shutout. Um, They'll have a great, you know, offensive half against South Carolina, but the defense maybe takes a step back and just really haven't been able to put all three facets of the game together really since uh, September. You mentioned A.J. Swine. Uh, I know he's been injured. I think I saw yesterday that he is out for the game on Saturday. Uh, Is that correct and if so i assume that mike wright will be vandy's quarterback on saturday how's he played yeah, yeah that's exactly right uh, aj swan um, he wasn't at practice tuesday he's on the depth chart this week so he won't play saturday at kentucky so mike wright will be the starter and uh, that's nothing new he started the first three games of the season and started a lot in 2021 and um, actually kind of a full circle moment mike wright's first collegiate touchdown was at kentucky two years ago as, as a true freshman when he came off the bench when he and uh, back, this week's backup quarterback Ken Seals were kind of uh, rotated in and out of the starting quarterback role. So, you know, Mike had a really good start to the season, uh, did not play well against Wake Forest, so they made the change to go to A.J. Swan. Mike, right, has still come off the bench and provided a spark at times. It's it just looking for a quarterback, really, for Vanderbilt football that can – 
lead this team to a win, to put it bluntly. I mean, they've they've had three, four guys through the past you know couple of years who have played well in spurts, played well at times, but really haven't been able to put together a consistent you know path of games to put Vanderbilt in the win column. So Mike Wright's capable of doing that. He just has to go out there Saturday against Kentucky or against Florida the week after or against whomever and show he can get it done and, and put a W on the scoreboard. Uh, who are some other guys to watch on this Vandy offense? I know in the games that I've seen, uh, when I, uh, Will Shepard, the wide receiver, and Ray Davis, the running back, have impressed me. Uh, talk about a little about those guys and, and some other guys that maybe Kentucky fans need to look for on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the difference maybe with this year's Vanderbilt team than in years past is they don't just have one or two playmakers. I think now there's a handful of guys, and they're trying to build that roster where maybe there's a dozen guys. But But going forward, it's – Will Shepard at wide receiver has just become that number one go-to. Uh, Ray Davis, you mentioned at running back, is really the bell cow and the stalwart. But behind him, <clears throat> excuse me, behind him is Patrick Smith, kind of a young, speedy, undersized back. Uh, and that's really the only two running backs they have right now, uh, to be honest, because of injuries and transfers. Um, you know, Jade McGowan is a true freshman, and he does a little bit of everything in terms of returning kicks, catching the ball. They'll hand it off to him. Really, really speedy young kid out of South Carolina. And then they've had some some other guys step up and make plays. I mean, Quincy Skinner had two receiving touchdowns against South Carolina, and those were the first two receiving touchdowns of his career. And then the tight end position, uh, Gavin Schoenwald and Ben, ben Bresnahan, both fifth-year seniors. They're more weapons probably in the blocking game, but they can certainly get out there and catch some passes too. And if, if they're left uncovered, they can certainly hurt you down the field. I know Vandy has struggled some on defense. I think they're uh, 126 out of 131 in total defense. But when you look at their schedule, like you mentioned, having to play those uh, that gauntlet, the back-to-back top 10 teams and really good offensive teams, uh, did going into the season, did people think that, uh, hey, this could be a, uh, you know, this could be a little rough on the defensive side of the ball? And, and who are some guys to watch there for Vandy? I think the expectation was that this defense would be a little bit better than than it has been. I like you mentioned. I don't think the numbers tell, you know, the entire story because again they played Ole Miss, Alabama, and Georgia played some really high powered offensive teams. Um, the secondary has, has been a little weaker than maybe people thought. Again, they have a, a first year defensive coordinator for what seems like the tenth year in a row for that program. Uh, you know, but but again. Uh, just another unit that's really young. If if you watch the game on Saturday and look at some of the guys making plays, like a Ricky Wright or a C.J. Taylor, the defensive line in particular, a lot of freshmen, sophomores, or maybe you know redshirt type sophomore players uh, in that defensive unit. So um, th- they have not played great, but again, uh, it's a very very young unit, and they they have the capability. Like I said, they they shut out Missouri in the second half a couple weeks ago, and. Actually, the last two games, Vanderbilt's outscoring its opponents 27-7 to in the second half. So they've made some adjustments and played better in the second half of games. It's just not getting behind in that huge hole and playing four quarters of football. If this defense can, can do that, if they can tackle better, they'll be fine. But those have been big ifs through nine games so far. Well, where does Coach Lee Clark Lee, where, where do you think he feels like he is right now in the development uh, of the program? I've, I've told a lot of folks this that it's, it says year two for Clark Lee in the in the biography. Yeah, you know, I would argue it's maybe year zero or year one uh, because when he started this thing, 
because of COVID, because of a coaching transition, because of injuries and transfers, that roster was pretty decimated. So when he took over, um, and it, th- this is going to sort of be a long build, and and I know he is very complimentary of Mark Stoops and what Kentucky has done, and I think he sort of looks at that program and says, you know, that's where Vanderbilt wants to be in five to ten years. He looks at Dave Clawson and Wake Forest and say, you know, look, we're not going to turn this around overnight. We're not going to be a Tennessee, right? They're not going to get five and four stars kind of coming in the door next week. So they're going to have to build this thing slowly. If you look at this team, yeah, they only have three wins. Well, they only had two last year. And Las Vegas said they would only have two this year, and, they, and they've got three. So there's little baby steps, and you can see it week in and week out. They're making a handful of plays. Uh, they haven't put that full game together. But I think he's confident this thing is moving in the right direction. It's just a matter of filling that locker room with more talent, more depth, and more bodies, which they're still a little bit short on. Uh, but I think he's confident they're heading in the right direction, and I, I would agree with them. I mean, they're a much better football team than they were a year ago. You know, maybe the stats and, and the wins don't really show that. Played a really tough schedule, and I just think they're, they're, they're continuing to go in the right direction. I don't, In my estimation, they have not taken a step back at all. Well, Saturday, you know, and as you mentioned, I mean, they went to Missouri and uh, at, played really well in the second half, took Missouri to the wire, losing 17 to 14. Kentucky just played at Missouri. Uh, at, they went to the wire with Missouri and were fortunate to come out on top 21-17. What does Vandy have to do on Saturday to uh, play? You know, they played Missouri tough on the road. They're certainly capable of doing that against Kentucky. What do they have to do on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think it, for me it comes down to a lot of the same things they've been doing all year or maybe haven't been doing all year. I think it's defensively, it's getting this Kentucky off offense off the field. This this Vanderbilt defense needs to step up on third down. Uh, they need to limit these offensive possessions by Kentucky because we know Kentucky certainly has the firepower you know, with its running backs and quarterback to put up some numbers and to sustain drives. So this Vanderbilt defense can, can force some takeaways, force some turnovers, and get – uh, that Kentucky offense off the field, that's a start. Then on the flip side, you know, Vanderbilt's a team, when they're good, they're putting together some of these eight to 10 minute drives. They're very patient. They're very methodical, not turning the ball over, not beating themselves. You know, Ray Davis even said this week that a lot of times it continues to be Vanderbilt versus Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt can, number one, beat Vanderbilt on Saturday. <laughs> then they have a chance to beat Kentucky. But it starts with that. I mean, they, this is a team that cannot afford to, to make those little tiny miscues, whether it's execution, penalties, turnovers, what have you. If they play a really clean game of football, I mean, they'll, they'll be there in the fourth quarter. I have confidence in that. But if they come in and, and do a lot of those big-time mistakes that have haunted them in the past, uh, it'll be a long bus ride back to Nashville. Well, it should be an inter- it should be an interesting game. I know Vandy is hun- I know Vandy's hungry to get break. I know they have a long SEC losing streak. I know they're hungry to break that streak. They broke that streak against Kentucky uh, uh, not too many years ago uh, when that broke a long SEC losing streak. I know they love to do it again, especially at Kroger Field. Uh, Chad, tell the listeners, remind the listeners how they can follow you on Twitter and how they can check out uh, all your coverage online. Yeah, absolutely. It's at Mr. Chad Bishop on Twitter and vucommodores.com. Just uh, click around on that site and there should be some stuff up there for the folks to read if they're interested in the Commodores. Well, Chad does a great job. He does a great job on the podcast. Uh, Chad, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday and uh, we'll see. And thanks again, as always, for being on the podcast. 
John, thanks a lot. Make sure the heat's on in the press box, all right? <laughs> That's right. It's going to be a little chilly. I'd bring an extra coat. I'd bring an uh, extra sweater or an extra coat. You know, the funny game at Missouri went uh, last week, it was 60 degrees or over 60 when I left the hotel in uh, St. Louis. By the time I got to Columbia, it was 45 degrees. So sounds like it's going to be something like that on Saturday. All right. I'll bring an extra beanie. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thanks, Chad. All right. See you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, I want to welcome back to the podcast my friend and colleague, John Hale. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? I'm good. Kentucky and Vanderbilt on Saturday. First uh, game of the final three games of the season, all home games, 12 o'clock start on the SEC Network. Uh, let's let's back up, John. Let's back up to the Missouri game. Uh, Kentucky pulls that out, gets a 21-17 win at Missouri. Uh, let's talk about offensively. A couple of changes. Rich Scangarello was in the box, uh, up in the coach's box to call plays instead of down on the field. And also, they were able to, unlike the Ole Miss game, uh, they were able to respond at the end of the game and get the touchdown after Missouri gone ahead to go ahead. Uh, Kentucky got, came back and got the touchdown to go back in front. Uh, does that give the offense any kind of momentum, you think, going into this week's game? It certainly can't hurt. Um, my guess is it helps. Uh, it had to still be in their mind when they took that last drive. Nobody's told us this, but they're humans. They had to be thinking about that old Miss situation where twice in the fourth quarter they did drive into the red zone. They had some success and then had turnovers. And so when you get back into the red zone this time, they did get helped by the short field with the mistake on the Missouri kickoff. But then Barry and Brown's touchdown gets called back. Uh, there's that review as to whether uh, Chris Rodriguez fumbled or not. You had to be having flashbacks to that situation. So to overcome that and actually score the game-winning touchdown, you know, a freshman receiver thinking, making a really good play to make two guys miss, uh, that has to help some. Now, whether it's enough to overcome, they still have offensive line issues. Will Levis is apparently still banged up. Um, they have injuries elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, I think against Vanderbilt, it shouldn't matter. Uh, against Georgia, it probably shouldn't matter the other direction. So it's all going to come down to what they look like in that uh, last game of the regular season against Louisville before we're talking about if they can still make it to the you know Outback slash ReliQuest Bowl or whatever this year. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they still end up with less than 300 yards of total offense at, the, uh, offense at Missouri, but Missouri has a good defense. They were a top 20 defense as far as total defense was concerned coming into that game. Uh, like I mentioned, Rich Gangarello was up in the box for the first time. Sounds like he, that's where he's going to stay for the rest of the season. Do you think that made any difference at all? 
it's hard to know because it seems like the things that they were the the problem was was something that maybe we couldn't even notice in real time or even looking back it sounded like at tennessee they had some issues where they made a mistake and thought the problem was one thing but when they went back and watched the film it was something else so right. the adjustments he was trying to make in the game were not actually fixing the issue um, I, it's, it's been pointed out to me since Saturday and I hadn't really thought about this, but not only was Rich Scangarello on the field, but I think all of the offensive yes. assistant coaches were on the field. And so it was just GAs and quality control guys or whatever in the box, which is interesting that you don't have a, you know, most coordinators like last year, I think Liam Cohen was on the field and Scott Woodward was in the box. So he was his guy that he trusted up there to see everything. Not having that, you know, experienced guy up there, I, I, I could see how that would be a problem. And it, it does feel like Rich is more comfortable there. They made some adjustments. Um, I don't know if they score on that last drive, though, if, if Missouri doesn't give them the short field. So that, right. they, they got some help there. And I don't think the first drive where they looked so good had much to do with him being in the box because that was scripted out. Right. They, they had not had much success there all year. Um, on opening drive, so it was good to see they got that fixed, but I don't think that was necessarily anything he was doing upstairs versus on the field. So I think the jury's still out there, but if he's more comfortable and they can make better adjustments in-game, um, they they need all the help they can get, frankly, right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and yeah, that is an interesting point, and that is true. I've noticed that before, all the offensive coaches are down on the field, which, as you said, leave his, leaves it to grad assistants and other people up in the box. I mean, when you look around the SEC – uh, you know, Georgia, Todd Monken, their offensive coordinator, he's up in the box. Alabama, Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator, he's up in the box. Uh, you know, Ole Miss, their offensive coordinator's up in the box, but Kiffin is, you know, he, is Kiffin really calling the plays? I mean, Kiffin's down on the field, the head coach, Lane Kiffin, he's got the offensive background. Same thing at Tennessee with Josh Heupel. Their offensive coordinator's up in the bike, up in the box, but it looks like Heupel's the one who's really calling the plays. So, and there are things that you can do in the box. Uh, that you know, one of the things I think Mark mentioned it, or maybe Rich mentioned it. You can write things down. Uh, you know, you got a better look at what's uh, going on from upstairs, and that communication. They said that C.J. Conrad was the guy, the former UK tight end, who's now a grad assistant, who is down on uh, down on the field relaying things to Will when Will isn't talking directly to Rich in the box. Um, so uh, you know, we'll we'll see what kind of difference it makes uh, for the rest of the season. But it sure sounds like that's that's going to be the mode of operation moving forward. Uh, yeah, the communication point is interesting because I've seen some fans starting to get tired of the uh, Rich Skingarello press conferences and, and the comments always, did you know he coached in the NFL before that? Because like every comment is about the difference between the NFL and college. But he made a, I thought he made a really good point after the game when we were talking to him about this, how in the NFL you have your tablet and you can see immediately what happens on your Microsoft surface or whatever and, and review that. And everybody, you have a, a, a connection to the, you know, the quarterback has a radio headset in his helmet that you can talk to out there. And, and the college rules don't let you do that. There's a limit to how many guys can have headsets on and communicate. And I do wonder if this is just another one of those kind of learning curves for Scangarello coming back from the NFL and adjusting to college. And, you know, we just we just think when, when Mark Stoops hired Cohen and him, you know, they're going to bring the NFL system to college right. and it's going to be fine. But there are a lot of things that are different. And I think over the course of the year, we've seen him run into some of those walls that have been an issue. And, and now we'll see if he can adjust. Yeah. 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 Uh... 
But uh, I mean, what? And they're tired of him mentioning the NFL. What's he supposed to talk about? That's what he came yeah, to exactly. the NFL. That's his source of reference. His you know his baseline reference point is that he came from the NFL. He had some college experience, but that was a while back. It's mainly been NFL yeah, and small colleges too. And like, small colleges too. What I thought is okay. his, his point this week was fascinating as well. About you know he's just the the every game means so much in college yeah. because last year with the 49ers they were ten and seven or whatever snuck into the playoffs and were couple plays from the Super Bowl and so uh, that clearly is something that he is adjusting to as well (laughs) right right um uh, one very positive, I think, with this offense, something you wrote about this week is the tight ends, the way the tight ends have played, especially uh, uh, Jordan Dingle. And then we talked to Josh Caddis this week, uh, the freshman who's played this well. Just talk about a little bit about your story about that and how, and so people can check that out. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it would have been a surprise to any of us to say that the tight ends were going to be a big part of this offense at the beginning of the year, but I don't necessarily know we thought it was these two guys. I mean, I did have Jordan Dingle in my uh, five breakout candidates list in camp. I feel good about that. We'll not talk about the other four guys on there because they have not uh, not done anything of note, but I got one of them, right? Um, and so, like, I, I thought he was going to be part of it, but when you look at the depth chart, you see, okay, Brendan Bates is back as a senior. Keaton Upshaw's coming back off the injury. They were so excited about him. Isaiah Cummings last year was really valuable to them down the stretch. You think, well, there's three veteran guys who are going to play a lot, and Dingle's going to have to kind of earn his way in, and then we hear all during camp about how impressive Caddis has been. And you think, well, can he really play as a freshman with all those guys in front of him? And Saturday at Missouri, uh, Bates still played, played quite a bit. Uh, but, but it was, it was Dingle and Caddis who kind of taken over the two featured roles there. Caddis had not had a ball thrown to him yet. Um, before Saturday, they finally got him his first pass. So he's seems to be becoming more of a part of the offense. But the last three weeks, in terms of their passes to tight ends, it's basically just been Jordan Dingle. And, you know, after the game Saturday, Will Levis said, you know, he's the featured tight end right now. That's pretty evident. At Tennessee, there weren't a lot of positives, but one of the few were that, you know, I think it's a 24-yard pass from Levis to, to Dingle over the shoulder. Uh, really nice throw, really nice catch. So he's really developed into, a, a, I think, an important part of this offense. And when you put Dingle and Caddis with Barry on Brown and Dane Key and um, you know some of these other young guys who are on offense. That's that's going to be really important to their ability to go out and recruit a quarterback in the transfer portal this offseason to replace Will Levis. It's it's a big deal to say, look at all these weapons, these young weapons we have. We're going to be here for two or three more years that are going to grow and get even better. And so I, I think that's a that's a huge step for the offense down the stretch to see Dingle playing the way he is. And it'll be a huge thing to keep those guys as well. We'll hit on that in just a second. But you mentioned the young guys on offense, and then you look at defense. A young guy who played a really uh, played an excellent game Saturday was Trevin Wallace, uh, who was uh, substituting in for uh, DeAndre Square, who's injured and out right now. Uh, you had Derek Jackson playing in that other linebacker spot for Jack Wesbo Jones, who's out. But Wallace has had, Wallace had a big game. Uh, Deion Walker, a true freshman, has had a big had a big freshman season, especially for a true freshman. They do have. If you're a Kentucky football fan and you want to look to the future, there are some young guys, especially as we get to this part of the season, on both sides of the ball who have been stepping up and kind of giving you hope for the future. Yeah, and throwing Jordan Love at the safety right. into that group too. We talked to him this week. He's he's been playing a lot since Jalen Geiger went down with the season-ending injury. So 
Uh, there is a nice nucleus there of, of players to build around for the future. And it, it, it'll hurt to lose guys like DeAndre Square and Jacquez Jones and Jordan Wright, all super seniors. But uh, they need, I think, to get a, a couple of these, uh, their, you know, buzz out there about guys like, you know, Justin Rogers and J.J. Weaver in the draft. I think it would be a mistake for those guys to go early to the draft. But uh, assuming they get those players to come back and be the veterans on next year's team, uh, there's reasons to, I think, get excited about the depth chart moving forward if you answer the big questions we all have. Quarterback, who replaces Will Levis? Right. Who's the running back when Chris Rodriguez leaves? And what do you do on offensive line? Those are three huge deal, huge questions that if you don't have a top 10 pick at quarterback next year, things could go south even with all these young players playing really well. But if you fill in the holes they need, the transfer portal and recruiting, uh, you can see where this, uh, you know, they could they could be even better in some ways next year. But those are huge caveats, obviously, to put out there. And one thing that's going to affect the transfer portal, you know, I, you know, just to be blunt about it, is NIL. I mean, and and yep. that came up both in keeping players here and attracting players to come here, whether they're transfer portal guys or whether they're uh, freshmen. And that came up again in Mark Stoops' press conference uh, about NIL. Mark said he didn't want to make the press conference about NIL, but then he made comments about it. Where does Kentucky stand right now in NIL? You think? I don't think it is a coincidence that um, some media people uh, fairly cl- who have the ear of uh, Vince Merrill and some other people definitely went out public and, and made the, the NIL crusade in the last few days. I think that that was uh, some orchestrated behind the scenes movement. Um, I think that Mark Stoops knows that uh, if he wants to compete, if they want to take that next step, to, with Tennessee, I think is is a lot of the the impetus for this. Right. But you just got your doors blown off playing them. They've passed you in the division. Uh, everybody's talking about how did that happen so quickly? And they are one of the programs who is most out in front of the NIL stuff. Their athletic director Danny White put a video out on Twitter last week saying, "Let's be the top NIL program in the country." They've really embraced it in a way that Mitch Barnhart has not publicly. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And they know that all those young guys we just talked about. Um, you got to keep them and you got to re-recruit them now because their back channels, high school coaches, trainers, there will be other programs going to the people in the, in those player circles and saying, if you come here, you can get a better NIL deal. You can make some more money this way. And that's going to be a really interesting offseason. The, the transfer portal has been good to Kentucky so far in the, in the first two years where they've added starters. They haven't really lost a, a star player uh, to transfer since I, I guess Jeff Bidette was probably the last one who transferred out and was really good. But you know at some point, just the law of averages says a Benny Snell or a Lynn Bowden or somebody like that who got passed over by one of these powerhouse programs out of high school and then came out and, and was really good at Kentucky is, is going to get poached. And so NIL is a huge part of keeping those guys around. As we're recru- recording this, I just saw an alert come against, across my phone that Mitch Barnhart has put out a letter to the fans saying here is how you can support our NIL efforts. So it, it does feel like some things are, are finally moving to where they're they're saying we're going to get out and be a little more public with this. In that letter, it links to three different collectives, which is something we have not seen um, Mitch Barnhart do. it Back in the summer, Mark Stoops even said, we think collectives are illegal. And the new NCAA guidance makes it clear that they are not and that schools can actually help collectives raise money. The coaches, the administrators can – can not donate directly to them, but they can go do autograph signings or, do, or you know, help in their fundraising efforts. And I think that's where Kentucky is right now. I, I was told a new collective is probably coming in the next week or so. 
that might be a little more comfortable to, to the administration and in, in the way they're operating and the, the percentage of money that's going to the players. So we'll see if that comes out soon too. Uh, but it does feel like we've hit this kind of tipping point where Kentucky has realized there's not this big NCAA enforcement coming that maybe they thought for a long time that they were going to crack down and shut all these collectives down. That's not going to happen. So they're going to have to get on board with it and be a little more active. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's here. and It's here to stay. I mean, you, if yeah. you you can try to look the other way, but you're going to get left behind if you do that. Uh, okay, John, we, we'll wrap this up. We haven't talked much at all about Vanderbilt or the game on Saturday. Is uh, We always talk about keys for Kentucky. Is it just Kentucky coming out and playing their game and not, you know, laying an egg? If they play their – they're an 18-point favorite. If Kentucky plays their game, they should be okay. Yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt is down their starting quarterback. Obviously, White, the backup, has played a ton. He hurt Kentucky last year a little bit when he came off the bench. So he's he's a competent player that doesn't, I think, necessarily sink Vanderbilt's chances. But that's another point in their favor. The coach is talking about they, they have some flu stuff going around this week. So it does, we, we don't even know if, if Vanderbilt's going to be at full strength. So this does not need to be a game. Uh, in the fourth quarter where it's you know, in doubt, like the, you know, so many Kentucky football games are. That Brad White's quote last week where he said, uh, Mike Stoops was like, man, I don't, I don't know about this. And he said, well, welcome to Kentucky football. This is this is what we do. It, uh, we make games more interesting than they're supposed to be at times. This can't be one of those games if you want to build momentum. Um, I think it would be it, – it's actually a week where I think if you could get this comfortable into the third quarter, you need to get Will Levis off the field to give him some rest, not take more hits whether it's Kaya Sharon or Destin Wade, see one of those other quarterbacks out there and, and get some other guys involved because we know Georgia next week is going to be really difficult. But even if you assume a loss against Georgia, they need to be 100% against Louisville in that last game of the season, given the way Louisville's playing right now. Uh, so they, this cannot be a week where you're you're struggling and, and nobody's excited and it's noon and cold and I think snow might be in the forecast right. at this point <laughs> at, at, at Kroger Field. This crowd's probably not going to be great. Um, if you're not, if you're struggling to score points, that's only going to make it worse. So that they need to win this one comfortably. Yeah, which means I think they need to get off to a good start. Uh, yeah. Getting a touchdown on that opening drive like they did last week would obviously be a step in the right direction. Uh, well, we've had plenty of coverage all week. We'll have more leading up to the game, during the game, and after the game. John, remind the listeners how they can fo- find you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. No blue check marks, no white check marks, none of that. It's just me. <laughs> just John Hale. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, well, John does a great job, so be sure and check out all his work this week, like I said, uh, before, during, and after the game uh, at Kentucky.com. John, thanks again, as always, for being on the podcast. Look forward to seeing you Saturday. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Chad Bishop. Be sure and follow him on Twitter and check him out online at vucommodores.com. My thanks, as always, to John Hale. Be sure and follow him on Twitter as well and check out all of his coverage at Kentucky.com. We'll have plenty of coverage from the game on Saturday leading up to during and after the game. Go to my sidelines blog for the live updates. Go to my sidelines blog after the game for my three takeaways as well. Remember, it's a 12 o'clock start at Kroger Field on on the SEC Network. Thanks again to Chad Bishop. Thanks again to John Hale. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.